please. This is their one-year anniversary. Wow. Praise God, praise God, praise God. We want to see a bunch of those, right? A bunch of anniversaries. And we pray that every anniversary is a celebration. Um, that's a very important thing. Very, very, very important thing. Y'all know that we have um, dove into, uh, God has graced us to get into another book. And the book is Jonah. Um, we've been going through Jonah. Uh, well, we just were in it one week. <laughs> and we're in it yet another week. And I think this is a good bullseye for us. Um, special kudos to Jen Tinsley for this joint right here. She murdered it. <laughs> and, and other people, I don't know, and other, yeah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's called introspection. You know, one of the things about the Christian life um, <clears throat> that's easy um, to move past is looking at yourself. It's easy to point fingers. <laughs> It's easy to get a diagnostic on someone else's soul. Um, it's easy to be the terminator towards someone else. But the question is, have you gotten to the point in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ where you can see yourself? Now, we're not talking about focusing on yourself in an unhealthy way because I do think in theology today, when we talk about the idea of total depravity, one of the things that I'm concerned about is I think there's an idolatry in total depravity. Let me explain what I mean. Because I don't want this series to become that. You know, it, it, because of our theology of total depravity mean there is nothing man can do to merit the grace of God, right? Nothing he can do. Well, well, some of us see our sin so much, we only see our sin. I'm so sinful and I'm so tore up. I'm so distant from you, God. I'm such a man. And I'm, I'm, I'm over and over and over again. And, and I'm, I, I'll just be honest. I get depressed being around those type of people because I'm always seeing them, hearing about them. And, 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 and I think we want to be careful in this series not to have an un, un, unhealthy view of total depravity. In other words, um, we got to get to the point where we walk in the cleansing of Christ, where if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? cleanse us and to what? Forgive us of all unrighteousness. Now, if you continue to meditate on what God has cleansed you from, then God is no longer your God, but your sin is because you're always looking at it. So when we talk about introspection, fam, we're not talking about zooming in on us in an unhealthy way to where the doctrine of total depravity becomes the central doctrine for the Christian life. That's called reverse pride. It's called idolatry. However, I do think that there is a healthy way that God wants us to look at ourselves and not remain within ourselves. And I think that's what God is doing with Jonah. You know, Jonah... We saw last week, <clears throat> got a call from God to go, and most people jumped to the fish, whatever it was, what type of leviathan, animal, whatever. <clears throat> uh, most people zoom in, and that's the only part of the story. Jonah, run from God, don't run from God. That becomes the story. But, but, but the book of Jonah is way more theologically dense than that. It, it has way more depth that I think deserves our meditation and our attention. And so, and so here today, we're going to dive into the, the series, and I'm basically through the book, I'm just, it's, it's just one big sermon, so I'm really not going to create another outline. I'm just adding a point to the message from last week. So I only got one point today, one point. We're just going to walk through one point from verses 7 through, through 16, one point, and that's all we're going to walk through. We're going to, uh, uh, last week we talked about God wants to expose our heart to us, right? And then we talked about he wants to expose our heart towards uh, uh, his word, towards worship, towards prayer, and towards ministry or mission. We talked about that, right? So this, 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 this what I, I believe, this is a, you know, y'all know, know I never say this, but I believe this today is a rhema word for epiphany. I believe it is. Be because the point I want to make today, and I think the text is making, is 
God exposes our hearts towards his truth. I think that's going to be important for us as a church. Um, and, and, and we're going to see in this passage, I want to read it, then we're going to just dive into it. All right? So that's the point. You can write it down. God wants to expose our heart towards truth. We're going to dive in. Verse 7. And they said to one another, come, <coughs> let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. <coughs> then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I'm going to tell you why I said it like that. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. It's crazy. And said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more uh, tempestuous. It's a good word. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. And for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, <laughs> but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. <laughs> and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. Interesting. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Powerful, powerful, powerful stuff. I told y'all this is the divine comedy. I told y'all God has a sense of humor. For those who think the Bible doesn't have funny stuff in it, the Bible will make you bust your side if you read it right. And, 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 and here in this text, family, we, we see your man Jonah. It, this is a, it's like reverse of roles here. Because you'll see in this section where the prophet becomes the receiver of God's message and the people who are supposed to be the receiver of God's message become the prophet. This is ironic and this is unheard of in the Bible. And so, and so they begin and they go through and they cast lots. I don't know if they drew straws. They did rock, paper, scissors. You know what I'm saying? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what they did. I don't know if they had a big piece of dice and they rolled dice, you know what I'm saying? Did a little craps action to see what, you know, who it fell on. <clears throat> but whatever they did, the lot fell on Jonah. And, and, and some scholars believe that they did this several times to make sure. So they kept doing it. They did different types of, they cast lots, plural. So they, they possibly were doing, okay, nines, you know, they like that. Okay, you draw one, you draw one, you draw one. Dang, fell on you again. All right. I mean, it kept happening, right? And so, and so, and so they, they finally <coughs> get to the point where they say, all right, fam, we want to know where you're from. We want to know where you're from. We want to know what country you're from. What's your occupation? And, and, and it says, what is your country and what are, or, or, who are your people? Now, it's interesting here because <coughs> they're asking him a deeper question. They're saying, if this is your God, now I, I've experienced my God. And I've never experienced my God doing something about one person like this. I'm blown away by the fact that your God is so concerned about you that he's willing to come after you like this. And we want to know about you, but we really want to know about your God. Have you ever had a trial so tempestuous 
that somebody in your life had to say, what in the world is happening in your life that you're going through like this? And that's what they began. But it's interesting about Jonah. Jonah never answers the question. He, he, if you notice, he didn't answer the question. He got prideful. And, and he stuck out his little Hebrew chest on the deck. Now, he was sleeping just a few minutes ago. Wife sleep and boogers out of his eyes. He gets up, comes to the deck. He sees the, the, the ship going on and going crazy. And he, I mean, you got to understand, it's wind, it's octic wind, it's water coming all on the deck. They're asking him this question while the boat is moving. And he's standing there and he says, I'm a Hebrew. Um, you know, I, I worship the Lord God of heaven. You know what I'm saying? Who, I, and I fear the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And he made the sea and the dry land. Now, what's crazy about his statement is it, it's, it's, it's a lot embedded in how he responds. Number one, you see his elitism. His elitism. Uh, in other words, he began to talk about himself. First, he started with himself. I am a Hebrew. Now, when he was saying that, he didn't say that like quietly. He would have said this in light of what we know about the book of Jonah in a very prideful, in a very stuck up, nose up in the air above everybody on the ship way. So he's saying, I am a Hebrew. He's saying, yo, yo, y'all know how we roll as Hebrews. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what y'all roll like, but Hebrews, we roll a certain way. And they're looking at him, I believe, like he's crazy. But what's interesting is you see his elitism. Say elitism. Yeah, this is a very subtle sin. Elitism. Elitism is consciousness of or pride in belonging to a select or favored group. The belief that certain persons or member of certain classes or groups deserve, deserve favored treatment by virtue of their perceived superiority as in intellect, social status, and financial resources. Elitism. Elitism is one of those things that you have to be careful of because that's why I, I, you know, I always struggle when somebody say, I say, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored in the Lord. Now, I'm not saying I don't like the statement and I don't think that that's not true. I just, it's something about it. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I think there's something about a Christianity today because today, especially among people below the age of 40, we're getting doctrine. We're getting teaching. We're getting information. We're getting into systematic theological. Uh, we're getting into biblical theology. We're getting into weighty information. <clears throat> we, we're, we're seeing churches planted. And one of the things that I think that we must be careful of is elitism. In, in other words, beginning to have a hypocritical view of ourselves as if we're better than others. In, in other words, when we see other people, we automatically think they should worship the ground we walk on. Now, we don't say that because we cloak it in humility. You know, I, it ain't me, you know. It ain't me. It's, it's him. And, 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 but, but, but under that, you're saying, I know I'm better than you because you don't know as much as I know. You don't walk with Jesus. You don't have the integrity that I have. You believe in this. You think that. And, and what you begin to do is you begin to actually self-exalt yourself above the eye and view of others. And, and what happens is, is you develop a blind spot. Say blind spot. See, when you develop a blind spot based on your elitism, you're able to see other stuff but not able to see your stuff. Because your standard of measure is what you use against others, but you never apply it to you. And see, I think Epiphany Fellowship, we got to be careful. I think we got to be very, very careful. I think God has done some gracious things in our midst. But I think in some ways we become elite. We got a new church plant down in the city. We in the herb, we in the block, we ain't in the burbs, we in the, on the block. We out there, we just like this. My pastor got earrings in his ear. Nah. <laughs> you know, they rugged, you know. Like, what's that? What's that? 
And what happens is, is there is a brashness about us that can come out, that can rub people the wrong way, and they'll reject the truth because of how we've rubbed them. And we have to be careful that who we are on earth goes before who we are in Christ. Because what can happen is elitism will make you measure man's measurements and put it equal with a measurement in Christ. And you'll be walking in a defiant identity that you created in your mind that's really not real in your heart. It can be the right information, but it can be misapplied in our lives. And so God is calling us not to be elite, elitist in our philosophy of life. And you know, for them, for the, for the Jews, for the Israelites, for the Hebrews, there was the tension of distinction and mission, which I'll talk about later. <clears throat> but not only that, Jesus, interestingly enough, calls the Israelites back to a healthy understanding. It's interesting. The Sermon on the Mount is a work of art. It's a work of art. Because before Jesus starts lighting them up, he begins to show them who they're supposed to be. So what he says in the beginning is he lays out the Beatitudes, right? Then he lays out, you are a city on a hill. You are supposed to be what? Salt and light. Now, the thing about elitism is it makes you distance yourself away from people. But when Jesus says you're salt and light... Light makes you distinct. Salt makes you close. Somebody going to get that on the way home. See, see, salt, salt, salt is, is what they used to do with salt is they would, it would, there's piles of, of feces, doo-doo. And they would take salt because they had no, they, didn't, they couldn't burn it because it would be like, wow, wow. So they couldn't do that. <clears throat> they couldn't do that. You, I mean, burn some. I don't know if y'all ever, when y'all was little, made, you know, make the bag and light it on fire and throw it at somebody, stick to their front porch. I know y'all ain't done that before, but, <laughs> but, but you can't burn feces. It will make the feces smell more. Amen. But salt does something different. That rock salt, like what we use outside when it snows, <clears throat> if you put it on top of it, it breaks it down from its stench and from everything in it that, 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 that can bring harm to people. See, 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 you're supposed to be light. In other words, you're supposed to bring light into darkness, which lets people know that there's a distinct distinction between you and them. So, 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 but then salt says, I know that God is showing my distinction based on Jesus, not me, but based on Jesus. So, so we have to get on top of manure. See, see, that means that you have to remember. That's why Paul always said, remember what you were once like. Don't act like you weren't once there. So don't front. So he says, I want you to attach yourself to doo-doo. Not say that stinks. Everybody know it stinks. The question is, is anybody going to do anything about it? Elitism wants to be light, but doesn't want to be salt. We shining, we shining, we sh <laughs> But salt takes grace. Salt takes coming down off of a pedestal. Salt takes remembrance of what it was like for you and knowing where you are right now. And, 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 salt, and salt says, I'm going to get close. And just by virtue of my contact with doo-doo, I'm going to break this down. But I'm not going to become doo-doo because I'm light too. See the balance? But see, elitism wants to fall back. And so in this passage, Jonah likes light, but he doesn't like salt. He only likes salt for people who he think deserve to have salt. In other words, deserve to be saved. Now, you find one person like that. But Jonah in his heart, because of his bitterness, because of his anger and frustration about the Ninevites, it colored him and gave him mad blind spots to his own spiritual life, and it affected how he viewed others. And so Christianity today has become a separatist organization because it's, separ it, it, it's separatist towards non-Christians, and it's also separatist towards other Christians. 
<clears throat> so we have to be careful that we, if somebody has a doctrinal difference from us, that we don't, if they know Jesus Christ as Savior and they've trusted him, we shouldn't, we shouldn't treat them like they're not believers. Let me say that again. Because this needs to, I want this to, I want, this is salt right now. And it's getting on some doo-doo philosophies of life. So I want the salt of this word to break down the feces in our hearts and brains. If someone has a doctrinal difference from us, we don't badger them and blog about them. And talk about what church we go to and what schools our leaders went to. Who I live, I podcast this, I podcast Piper, I listen to Tim Keller. Who cares? You better be careful. You better be careful who you say you're of. First Corinthians chapter 1. If you were back with us back in the day, you remember we talked about from clicks to community. Be careful. And, and, and God wants us to begin to get, and we, this, this is a blind spot for us because what it will do is it will create a broader blind spot for us and we will begin to delude ourselves based on a false standard of Jesus. And be measuring ourselves based on our own personal standards. And listen, whenever somebody makes a standardized list aside from God's, it's always shorter than his. Your, your list will always be short. I know Jesus could have preached a sermon on the mount all day. All right, you said, you heard it said, but I say, you heard it said. He could have went on all day through the whole law, but he named key things. He just said, I'm going to just name a few because y'all like got limited ways that y'all work around God's stuff to make it look like you're doing it, but you're really not. So let me expose y'all punks. That's what Jesus does. And he said, I'm going to love you in the process. Now, there are two foundations at the end. He loves them. He said, now, you can build on sand or you can build on the rock. I'm the rock. Who with it? Right? But the elitist, and we're going to talk about this at the end. The elitist is too prideful to admit that they're on sand. <laughs> but then listen to what he says next. We can talk about elitism all day. Listen to what he says next. He says, I'm a Hebrew. You know, I don't know if he got in the B-boy stance. I mean, he was like proud of being, B he was proud of being Hebrew. But then he says something that's confusing to me. Like, the next statement that we're going to talk about, this is confusing in the mug. Listen to what he said. I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord. Now, let, now sometimes we go past what that means. <clears throat> I want to chop up again. I know we went through it in Proverbs when we went through what is a proverb. But I, I, for y'all, it's new and for us for a reminder. Let's go through what it means to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord in our basic definition that we have around here is to stand in awe of the reality of God. Now, this is crazy to me because God, remember last week we said God curveballed a storm. It said God hurled a storm at Jonah. Jonah knows that the storm is for him. He hears the storm up, God is up. He goes downstairs and goes to sleep. We remember the word for that is a depressed sleep because it's the same word used of God when he put Adam to sleep to make Eve. And so this guy said, I fear the Lord, but when God brings a trial to come to my attention, I go to bed. He says, I fear the Lord. In essence, to fear the Lord is a reverential response to who God is. It is more than affirmation of a theological truths about his person and his works. But it's alignment with those theological truths. See the difference? It's one thing to acknowledge it, for us to acknowledge a theological truth, but we have to align ourselves and submit ourselves and admit where there's a gap between us and those theological truths. That's where it means to fear the Lord. It, in other words, it, it is the center of what it means to love the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is theology 101 is the beginning of wisdom. Like, so if you don't have, if, if, if God doesn't rock you, if stuff happens in your life and you don't see him working, you don't stand in awe of him. And I'm going to tell you what causes a, any of us as believers who stood in, the, uh, uh, stood in that place of awe of God and then what could happen to cause us to stop standing in awe 
for pockets and seasons of all of our life. Remember, this is about us looking at us. The, the fear of the Lord is not merely a beginner step, but it's the entire step of the Christian faith. <clears throat> what does it look like? The fear of the Lord looks like this. Real Christ-likeness, our new way of viewing life, in other words, a worldview, turning from rebellion and becoming teachable. The influence of Christ in all decisions. Practical application of the sovereignty of the triune God. Practical application. Not just saying, God is so sovereign. He big, he massive. Nah. Practical application of that. Contentment when our passions are elsewhere. Enjoying God's gifts gives God the benefit of the doubt. Takes pains to live life in concerts with his created order. Accept the whole as well as each steps in one's journey with God as an ultimate unveiling of his invisible beauty. Fear. Standing in awe of the reality of God. Fear points to worship not merely in the cultic sense. In, in other words, doing the stuff without the heart for the God who gave us the stuff. Now what can make us not fear God is what's causing Jonah to theologically announce his fear of God, but practically not live out his fear of God is because of his bitterness. We're going to stay on that. Bitterness is a very venomous snake because bitterness is something that when it gets rooted in your life, it begins to read everything through the grid of that bitterness. If you had a bad experience and you didn't allow the blood of Jesus to cover it and it's still stinging in you, everything that happens after that that reminds you of it reopens that womb and points you not to Jesus but that issue. And so what you begin to do is you begin to read everything through your bitterness. So Jonah right here is reading things through his bitterness. And what it creates is a blind spot and you're able to announce doctrine yet not practice doctrine. It's dangerous. Unforgiveness and unredeemed anger is dangerous. That's why God is trying to get us to walk through this right now. He's trying to make us be careful. Be careful of, your, of unredeemed anger. Be careful of unforgiveness. Be careful of not dealing with unresolved issues in your life. Because what's going to happen is, is that unresolved issue is going to become your Bible. Because when you talk to someone that's in this state, on the front end they'll get a theology. You got to give them time. Then after a while... You begin to comb through it. You know, a good counselor, you know, I don't know if y'all been to counseling. I know black folk, we don't like counseling. You know, we, we don't like counseling. You know, everybody else discovered counseling. Black people, we just discovering counseling, right? That's another subject. That's another sermon. But, but we used to just come and cry on the altar and everything would be all right. That's all we used to do. You know, you just cry. Everything's all right. But you still got generational sin. You still ain't worked through nothing. Like, worship don't get rid of it. You got to walk through it. So that's a whole, like worship don't cover everything. You can't just, ah, somebody lay hands on you and get up. Everything's all right now. And you still bitter. All right? So you got to walk through it. Yea, do I walk? Yeah. So, so, so what happens, so what happens is, is, is a good one. They can, they can get past the mask of all of our theology. And what they'll do is they'll say, walk me through some key events in your life. You walk them through. And then one of those events, stop there. Then they begin unpeeling your reaction to that event. And all of a sudden, some say, a snake tongue come out during that right there, slickly, right there. Then they're like, hold on, stay, let's stay there. Talk to me about the surrounding things of that event. Then they begin to lay it out. And you, ah, I just told them. And I, ah. <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> you bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. <laughs> you got some water. But, I mean... When, when you, when, when God, listen, when God begins having you deal with issues, you got to be honest with how you feel about it so that he can get to it. Good theology doesn't mean you deny reality. 
It means you face it, but utilize his truth to heal it. That's the center of the Christian life. And if you, and if you think you can, you can bob and weave and you, you know you can, you can do an Allen Iverson on issues, it ain't going to happen. You need the gospel to impact every single thing in your life. And so Jonah, God is using trials to, to, to uproot and show him where his heart is. And he's talking theological smack but doesn't have practical application of it because he got unresolved issues in how he views others, which is really a view of himself. Then he said, then he said something. Then he said, you know, I, you know what I'm saying? I'm a Hebrew. I'm of the chosen people, chosen generation, Judican. You know what I'm saying? Platokin. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Then he goes from there. He says, I fear the Lord hypocritically. I fear him. No, you don't. No, you don't. You might have used to, but not now. Then he says, I serve the God of heaven. Now, what are he saying by that? He's talking about, you know, I'm comprehensive in my understanding of God. Y'all talking to all these gods on the boat, <laughs> crying all out to him. God of the clouds, God of the water, God of the sun. Yo, man, I worship the God of all that. And they're like, wow. In other words, when he said the God of heaven, the God who is comprehensively everything, who, is, who, who created every single thing and sovereignly controls. When he says God of heaven, he's talking about the massiveness of God, but he's proclaiming a theology that he doesn't believe. He said, I, I worship the God of heaven. Then he, then he got the nerve to say, who made the sea and the dry land. So he, he's on us on the sea now, running from God, talking about God made the sea in the dry land. Now, like, like this is spooky crazy, because how can somebody is supposed to speak, how can, how can he have such a blind spot in his life, y'all? And that's what we don't need to be. All of us, as we look at where our lives are and blind spots, we got to be careful that we don't announce stuff we don't believe. Where did it, what happened to him? He became numb. Say numb. That's a scary place to be. Spiritually numb is a scary place to be. It, it means that, it means that uh, spiritual numbness, and I've been there, and, I, I, and I'm struggling with it now. I'm struggling with numbness because there's stuff that I know God want me to do, but I'm too numb to do it. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. You, with spiritual numbness is a lack of sensitivity to what God wants you to do, even though you know he wants you to do it. Numbness. In other words, the Holy Spirit in certain areas of our life, oh, that ain't, the, that, you know, that ain't, that's the devil. That's not, that can't be the spirit telling me to, but if it's against your normal passion, guess who it probably is? The ghost. <laughs> the ghost always tells you stuff that's opposite of what you would do, but it got to be from the Bible. You know what I'm saying? It can't be like I heard on TV and I sold a seed, but I'm talking about numbness. Spiritual numbness, we read every three, everything, that comes from that bitterness. Because bitterness, when you're able to walk in bitterness and still act like you're not, you become numb. Are y'all getting this? Yeah. And, 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 and what it does is the longer you walk in bitterness, the more numb you get. And it begins like a cancer through your life. And hypocrisy is the child of numbness. And you will say that you're a place that you're not. And you, will, you, will, you would have walked through a process where you knew that you weren't right, like we, we all do, right? And then you'll get to the point where you really believe that everything in your life is okay when it's not because the numbness makes you no longer see your bitterness. And now the, the bitterness is hidden with the numbness and the hypocrisy makes you elite because you only see yourself through what you believe, not where your soul really is. That's dangerous. That means you have a, that, and, and know what that is? Bitterness, numbness, hypocrisy, 
pride, elitism, stronghold. And when you get a stronghold, I don't know if y'all, how many of y'all get pimples, right? But I don't know if y'all had one of them pimples. Like, like I, like I had pimples, I'm just going to be straight up. You know, I like it when they white, you go, pop them, right? Good. <laughs> if you got beard, whatever, ingrown hair, you get to pull it out, it's okay. I don't know if you ever had one of them that's way under the skin that it get touched and you feel like you need some Novocaine or something. Because I don't know if y'all know what I'm talking about, where the pus and the mess is just so under there and it, it just hurts to touch it. Ah, you hurt and you're just praying to God that God would somehow just let it go away. Just let it go away. But one time I had a, a hair so deep under my skin and, and, and I said, I got to get this or I'm going to go crazy. So I, I got my tweezers and I got a, 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 a clothespin. I took a lighter and I lit the tip of it. I, lit the, I had to get it. I set it a fire, and, and I, I rubbed some alcohol on it, and I looked in the mirror, and I, and I was looking like that. I was like, okay. And I, st- I, st- I, I put it under, and I went to, I, I just, I just, I mean, my, I, water stopped coming out my eyes. But then, but then, but then I, I went in, and I fished around, and I'm in pain, and I'm fishing around to get it. And then I put that, I open it up, and then I take the tweezers, then I go in there and fish around. I look in the mirror. Then I pull it, and then I pull the hair out, and the hair was very long. And, I, and, I, and I'll be like, <laughs> but the pain is gone because I took time enough to deal with the pain on the front end so it won't get more painful on the back end. All I'm trying to tell you today is you got to face stuff, and I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to reawaken some stuff that you wanted to bury. But, but, if, but, but you don't let it get deeper. The deeper it gets, the more mining it takes to deal with the issue. No unre- God doesn't just look past unresolving. You got to go after it. In Jesus' name. That's why he died. So that no issue would be unturned in our lives. He, he said, he, who, he whom the sun sets is free. Yes. That means for real, for real free. That doesn't mean fake freedom. And see, I, 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 see some people preach fake freedom because they think it's momentary and they come real quick. Just come by my prayer cloth and you'll be free. It doesn't happen like that. Freedom is a process and an event. You're positionally free, but the cross gives you the sanctification know-how based on the community, the graces, prayer, the word of God, wise counsel to begin to get those deeply rooted spiraling hairs that are causing deep, deep, deep infection in your soul to be pulled out. So we can't get numb, y'all. And then look at Jonah. This is funny. After he announces who he is, they got scared. They said, oh, this dude is tripping. They said, he tripping. This dude going to come on the ship knowing a God is after him. <laughs> so they got afraid. Now, they got afraid because, guess what? They believed his theology. The, the word here means they were afraid for real. This ain't the reverent fear. They were spooked out. Scary for real, right? So they were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? This is the same thing that God asked Adam when he told them about the tree and Eve. He said, what is this you have done, Adam? It's the same exact Hebrew phrase that, that, that these guys ask him. What is this that you have done? And he says, for they knew, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Crazy. Like, which, which, like, where can I go from your presence? Because he told them. He told them that. What? Okay. Numb. Now check this out. It says, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that we may quiet down, the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tumultuous. In other words, the longer Jonah was on the ship, the harder the storm got. <laughs> and, and Jonah said, pick me up. And hurl me into the sea. Now, this is interesting. 
Now, if you felt that way and you know you're the issue, just jump off. Just hold your nose and jump off the side. But see, his Hebrew theology got him. He's like, okay, see, if I throw myself in the sea, that'll be suicide. We got certain beliefs about that. But <laughs> if I get them to throw me over the side, I'll be cool spiritually. See the depths of his numbness? He said, now, now every, he could have just jumped off the ship. He said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Listen to what he says. He says, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. He said it's come upon them. Is he on the ship? See how you can view yourself in the midst of, like, he said, oh, this, this is because, I mean, you know, I know it's because of me, but it's coming for you. So arrogant. So arrogant. And guess who's like that? Then he says, nevertheless, the men moved the road. So they cared about, more about his life than he cared about theirs. So they said, no, we're not going to throw him over. So they tried to row harder. Like, like, so Jonah got on the ship. He didn't care about their life because he cared more about his life. But the unbelievers care more about Jonah's life than Jonah cares about their life. You see the reverse prophetic move right now? They're trying to save his life. He's trying to kill them, right? It says, but they could not, for the storm grew more and more tumultuous. I don't know if you ever, you know, been on Lincoln Drive or Kelly Drive and showed them cats rowing. Now, I don't know if you ever rowed before, but rowing is a monster. It creates muscle tension where you didn't know you had muscles. Them cats would be, heave, ho, heave, ho. Now, you got to understand, it's a ship. They ain't got no rotors. They ain't got batting down the hatches, anchors. Like, like, this is not the Titanic, you know what I'm saying? This is a wooden boat with pitch on it back in the day, uh, 50, uh, 35, I mean, you know, whatever amount of years ago it was, 3,000, whatever, right? Crazy. It says, but they could not for the sea, actually it was 2,000 and a few years. It said the sea grew more and more tumultuous against them. And listen to what they do. This, this is ironic. They called out to the Lord. Now, all this time Jonah was on the ship, they asked him to pray, and guess what he didn't do? He didn't pray. But God uses the unbeliever to show the believer how you should respond when God is after you. And what's powerful is, is the text said at first they called out to their gods, but now they're calling out to Yahweh. Now, that is Gorgeous. Know why? Because they're calling to the, they, they're utilizing the covenant name of God to separate themselves from saying, like, I'm not calling out to them cats no more because I don't know what they're like now because I see you are, you, you're a different type God. You know, you, I mean, you wreck shop. So, Lord, they said, and so they start hollering. I can't imagine. They walk in the floor, tearing it. I don't know what it, what it looked like while the storm is going on. And, they, and they're scared because they think that them throwing Jonah overboard is going to make the storm worse because he's, front, he's of the Lord, right? And they beg God, don't count this against us. Look how much they care. This says, oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you. Oh Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah I, I mean, can you imagine the scene? The water's rushing. I mean, the, the water's coming out on the boat. They done threw all the cargo over. And then they pick up Jonah. They say, all right, come in, man. I don't know if it took a couple of them. And you know, usually if you watch a pirate movie, you know, somebody told to walk the plank, they kind of like this. But Jonah, like, you know, he just kind of sets himself up. They pick him up. I mean, storm winds, everything. Wakosho. <laughs> then all of a sudden, God takes the wind back from the sea, back into his hand. 
and it's calm again. And them cats like, Then guess what they do? They feared the Lord. The person who had the most experience with God didn't fear the Lord. Guys have one experience and they fear him. One experience and they're changed forever. Listen to what it says they did. It said they feared the Lord a whole lot, exceedingly. And they offered sacrifices. They worshipped the Lord. They worshipped the Lord through the sacrifices and they made vows. Now, we don't know exactly what their vows were. We don't know exactly what their vows were. But it, 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 is, it is probably clear on some level when we talk about um, their vows that they made to the Lord, they probably in spite of all of Jonah's bitterness, hardness of heart, although it's not stated in the text, I think it's clear that they could probably announce their allegiance to the living God. In this moment, in this one moment, and you see that people who don't know God as much as, they didn't, he didn't have the, the Torah, they didn't have the Torah, they didn't have the law, the prophets, and the writings, they experienced God in one second and applied more to their faith than Jonah was applying to his at that time. I hope we don't miss simple obedience to the Lord. I pray that God would uncover us. But you know what? Jesus, talk about Jesus and the preaching. Jesus, there's some things he couldn't tolerate. There's a lot of things that Jesus couldn't tolerate. But I want you to go through the Gospels. There's some things that Jesus could tolerate, but there's one thing Jesus couldn't tolerate. tolerate. Hypocritical elitism. Hypocritical elitism. He couldn't take it. If you remember in Matthew 16, when you, if you remember in Matthew 16 when Jesus, actually in Matthew, I mean John 8.32, Jesus had an issue with those who supposed to rightly understand truth. Because truth was only theoretical for them. And Jesus puts them on blast. One time the Pharisees were talking about themselves, and he says, you whitewashed tombs. He said, for you clean the outside of the cup, but you don't clean the inside. Jesus didn't have, he had issues with people who were religious but lacked relationship. He, 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 he had issues with people who pronounced principles but were light on their practices. He, he, he was struggling with people who, who, who thought they had depth through, through their lips but lacked practice in their doctrine. He had issues with them. And he was always, one of the things Jesus loves to do is show religiosity how to practice relationship. And so we see Jesus is the great balance of all of this. He comes from heaven to earth. Who else has the right to be elite? Who else, who has the right to be elite? Twice in John 14, John 1, 14 and John 1, 18, it says that he was full of grace and truth. That's a key balance, grace and truth. In other words, he had a, a disposition of understanding the favor of God but not only had a disposition of understanding the favor of God, but he understand the truth. See, some people like favor without truth, and some people like truth without favor. See, you can have a lot of information but not understand grace. You can want grace but not want truth. Grace without truth <laughs> makes you licentious. That's a false group of grace. Truth without grace makes you elitist. When the two come together, it says, when it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth, that means he was controlled by it. That grace controlled him as well as God's truth. And that's what I pray for us, that we would be like our Lord and conformed in his image where grace and truth meet. When they meet you, they meet both, not one or the other, both, both. Both. God's unmerited favor, it doesn't depend on me. Even though it doesn't depend on me, I have a responsibility to truth. 
but you become elitist when you say, it does depend on me, and I have information that lets you know that it does. But see, the person that's wrapped in the drape of the skin of the Lord, the living Lord, the risen Lord, and his blood, understand that it doesn't depend on me, but that's not an excuse to act a fool. And so I have a responsibility to truth, but I humbly lay it out because I know you're going to see some stuff. But I'm going to let you know he's covered me, but that still makes me responsible, responsible to contend, not to become content. And so I pray that that's what our hearts become, family. That our hearts, that we don't become an elitist community that becomes better than every church in Philadelphia and on the planet. We think we're better than everybody. We think we know everything. I pray that. that now that doesn't mean we don't, we, the sound doctrine is void. Like, don't walk out of here talking about, see, told you that doctrine stuff don't get you. No, nah, don't walk out of here with that. That's not what we're saying. We're talking about, you, see, the word sound means healthy, the Greek word. Sound does, see, we've took sound, the, the, the terminology sound doctrine, and we've made sound doctrine mean dump, information dump. But the word for sound means to get a clean bill of health from a doctor, healthy, healthy doctrine. In other words, healthy means that it impacts you and gets rid of issues, issues. So if we're really going to walk in sound doctrine as a church, it has to be more than just information that we read out of Grudem Systematic Theology and read the Institutes of, of Religion out of Calvin. We're supposed to do that. But I hope that that's not where we stay. I hope that, it, I hope that God makes it healthy for us, that we become healthy because of it, that bitterness deceases, that numbness deceases, and that we have a graciousness and a disposition that people are able to hear truth from us because they know we, that we love them and we love God. But that means we have to deal with stuff in us, get the plank out of our eye first. See, Jonah's main issue is he had... He had a forest in his eye. <laughs> Guess who else has a forest? And so we got to ask God to give us the grace. But, but, but getting stuff out of your eye, I don't know if you had a hair in your eye before. Try to get it out of your eye. It hurts, doesn't it? That's what it's going to take. It's going to take some hurting. But I'm telling you, if you open your eyes and allow the Lord to deal with some stuff, family, you, you're talking about health? True health. And I pray that's the center of our lives, that Jesus Christ, because he's already made us healthy through the cross, now it's time for us to pick up the cross so that it can practically impact where we are in our everyday life. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Father, we pray that you would deal with every single issue in our life.